Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Every week on Still Watching, we like to break down the latest episode of a TV show that we are sort of watching obsessively or closely. Uh, we are currently watching two shows. If you're listening to this right now, it is maybe Sunday night, maybe Monday morning. I don't know how quickly you listen to Still Watching. You uh, have just seen Westworld, and we are talking about Westworld. But starting this Wednesday, the 15th, we will be doing uh, Double Duty because we will also be covering the show Mrs. America, which is dropping three episodes uh, for FX on Hulu. So you can get it um, over on Hulu or uh, presumably on FX as well. Anyway, you're yeah. going to want to watch and if you. Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say what's happening uh, is that in, in, in the time of quarantine, you are lawnmower manning yourself in just into it. You're becoming a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so you're adding one more podcast to your repertoire and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm joining you and I, it's, I you're, think it's you're along, along for the ride. So yeah. yeah. So please join us for that watch. I'm really excited for it. Uh, we will be doing, so we will be doing both on Wednesdays. You'll have a Mrs. Still watching Mrs. America and on Sundays you'll having a still watching Westworld for the next couple weeks. We've got some great interviews happening on the Mrs. America podcast though. I have to tell you, please don't miss it. We've got, 
Uh, Dobby Waller, creator of the show, Uzo Duba, uh, star of Orange is the New Black, great as Shirley Chisholm on Mrs. America. And, uh, and, uh, who else do we have, Richard, on that first episode? Um, Kate Blanchett, I yes. think you say, is how you say it? Yeah, I think in her native Australian, it's Kate Blanchett, but, uh, oh, okay. we, we, okay. we call her yeah. Kate Blanchett here. Uh, yeah, the great Kate Blanchett, uh, who is an executive producer and star of the show. The show covers, um, the efforts of the, uh, feminist movement in the 1970s to get the ERA, uh, ratified and added to the constitution. It is, really actually I, I mean i'll just say it's surprisingly fun i thought it was not going to be fun i thought mm-hmm. it was going to be like a history dry history lesson i was incorrect so um i really am enjoying the show and please uh have a listen it should be right here in the same feed for you on wednesday so but right now we are not here to talk about that we are here to talk about westworld uh as ever you can contact us about Second Wave Feminism or the Robot Uprising uh, at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from <laughs> not, not you Not that we're conflating the two. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's, I mean, I think Dolores would be interested in the, yeah, in the, uh, in the equal robots yeah. amendment or whatever. Slightly um, less murder in, in Second Wave Feminism. <laughs> just a smidge. Uh, so, so, yeah, you can, you can always email us. We really appreciate it. Um, this week we are talking about episode five genre, uh, directed by Anna Forster and written by Carrie Krause and Jonathan Nolan. Um, this is, you know, an episode where we get the backstory on Angerard Serac, as well as, uh, some I- I- intriguing teases about the Caleb Nichols character and, and what might be going on there. So mm-hmm. we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about it. Um, I, I want, I have like a plan this week. Richard, I have, I have tapped into Rehoboam. I've used the system and I have given <laughs> us a, 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 a blueprint to follow in our discussion this week. So we are going to start with this Serac, Serac backstory. We yeah. get, um, Angerad Serac, uh, the Vincent Cassell character. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying my terrible French accent. Uh, and we meet his brother, Jean-Michel Serac, or Jean-Mi, um, as his nickname is called. And we get sort of their origin and the creation of the system. So, and this is told in voiceover uh, via Vincent Cassell. And we find out later that, like, Dolores is basically reading all of this um, in the system. So, uh, what do you make of, of you know, the, the, the rise of Rehoboam and... Uh, the Serac brothers as, I don't know, compelling figures to add to our collection of billionaire creators um, on Westworld? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you would be foolish if you think I didn't immediately look up who the very handsome French actor who plays young (laughs) Serac uh, is. And I did find him uh, online, thankfully. Um, But, uh, you know, I think think that the, the challenge of this season has been slowly introducing us to the fact that this is a completely different show, just with some of the same characters. I mean, this is about something else. You know, I think that the notion of robot consciousness has kind of been almost been resolved. Like, you know, Dolores is now onto this much kind of seemingly bigger mission. Um, and I think that this episode was, a, was kind of the final really pulling back of the curtain about, the central thing of this season. And I think it was effective, you know, mm-hmm. um, there are some aspects of this episode that I don't like as much, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but I do think that this technology, this kind of 
um, sort of credible speculative science fiction um, is pretty, you know, compelling, as are the motivations for its creation, which are chillingly believable because they thought they were doing good. And so many things begin that way that turn out to be very much not good. Right. And it's so fascinating. So you see these, the Ciroc brothers, Jean-Michel is the sort of creative genius. Um, and Angerard is the one who's a little bit more like enchanted with the system, like the shots of the young, uh, Ciroc sort of like staring adoringly at the, um, at the ro- the various like iterations of the Rehoboam system, uh, were, were very fascinating to me. But, and there, and the love that they share, and then this very chilling introduction of the idea um, of Jean-Michel being sort of a fly in the ointment, his own ointment, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, and, and what needs to be done with him. So we'll get to that. We'll get to like the, the point on my blueprint that I'm calling the undesirables. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think this origin story for the Serac brothers, uh, is, is, works really well. It's one thing that works incredibly well in this episode. Um, and I think it's, it's well sort of peppered throughout the episode. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm emotionally in, I'm in to mm-hmm. like, what's going on with this man who basically had to commit his own brother, he thinks for the greater good sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so let's get into how the system works. So this episode kicks off with this meeting between Sirac and, uh, the president of Brazil. And we see, uh, an example of, you know, how Sirach utilizes the system to instill order globally um, by, by like, you know, suppressing an insurrection and, and you just have to snuff out these few things or, or actually, in this case, you just need to stop being corrupt and then there won't be an insurrection in your country. Um, I, I, I think this is effective. I also think you know, what we see is there's a system, there's a godlike system, but how does Sirach, one man, fly around the world like Santa Claus, implementing all the, like, you know, pulling all the strings that need to be pulled to make sure this is all running smoothly all at once? You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing for me to believe, that he doesn't have, like, lieutenants that are doing some of these things uh, for him. And maybe he does and we don't see it, but it, it seems to me like Sirach is like, I'm the God, or, or at least I'm the guy who operates the God sort of thing. Um, but do you feel like you understand sort of the basics of how this system works? Uh, <laughs> do you think it matters whether or not we understand? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think that what, what, what's crucial that we are know is that, sort of tells the future, but really is kind of just doing actuarial work, you know, but then treating that actuarial work, like the likelihood that this is going to happen as fact, you know, and, 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 and is right often enough that they can use it to kind of control life, you know, yeah. control people's lives. And so it's, it's really, you know, it, in a weird way, it's about belief, you know, it's a system of faith. That's why they keep calling it a God. Um, because it's not a hundred percent provable in any way. It's not, you know, it's not infallible. Um, but it's just accurate enough that it's p- very powerful. Right. Because the, the, 
the way that they prove the system works uh, in the context of this episode is they play the stock market and win, right? Right. But the stock market, though, though, this, <laughs> did you see that? Uh, I, th- I think it was a tweet, not to reference a tweet, but like, did you see someone said something like uh, stock market is just a graph of rich people's anxieties, prove me wrong or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and, and so like, there is a human element, a human emotional element to the stock market. You know what I mean? Obviously. Uh, that being said, it's still, it's still more data driven than, an un, uh, an ideally unpredictable human. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the questions of robot consciousness, as you said, is something that's already kind of settled. So now we're wondering, like, can a human uh, defy their destiny that the system has determined for them, right? That seems to be a big question. And if that's the case, if they can escape that destiny, then it's a crime to control the world as if you know i mean i guess that's it's sort of like a minority report question a little bit you know what i mean like it's a if if serac system is wrong then the way in which he is using it to play god is morally uh, repulsive right? right yeah and if if it's right it still might be morally repulsive but it's definitely more repulsive if if it's wrong uh if it's ever even once wrong then you know that sort of thing. So, right, um, like like the death penalty or something. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Uh, so, what's interesting for years covering Westworld for years, people who are big like uh, Jonathan Nolan fans have told me I really need to watch his uh, CBS show Persons of Interest. Person of Interest, and I was like, I'm not gonna. It's like oh, it's five seasons. I haven't like like you know I don't know who has time to watch 103 episodes of a show that I never watched. But what's evident now is that this show and that show are more and more aligning in terms of the subject matter that they're interested in. So let me just read for you, Richard, and or for our listeners, in case y'all don't know, the like Wikipedia description of the premise of Person of Interest. So the series centers on a mysterious, reclusive billionaire computer programmer named Harold Finch, played by the great Michael Emerson, who develops a computer program for the federal government known as the machine that is capable of collating all sources of information to predict and identify people planning terrorist attacks. Uh, he finds that the machine also identifies other perpetrators and victims of premeditated deadly crimes, but is as these are considered irrelevant uh, by the government, he programs the machine to delete this information each night. He soon realizes the machine has gained sentience, leaving him wrestling with the questions of human control and other moral and ethical concerns. His backdoor into the machine allows him to act covertly on the non-terrorism case, but to prevent abusive information, he directs the machine to provide no details beyond a social security number to be investigated. He recruits uh, John Reese, played by Jim Caviezel, a former Green- Greenberry and CIA agent who is presumed dead, and later others to investigate and act on the information provided by the machine. So this is a very similar <laughs> premise uh, to what we're seeing with yeah, Sirach and uh, Rehoboam. So, uh, you know, it, it seems that this is very much something that is, is has preoccupied Jonathan Nolan is still of, of interest to him. Um, I think persons of interest was sort of dismissed as a procedural because it was on CBS and because um, its first season at least was more of a procedural kind of like early edition esque uh, crime crime drama 
Um, but I think it later got into more serialized storytelling and, and some deeper themes. But I, I just think that that's interesting that he has found his way back to this story that he was so fascinated by. And, and that story is very much, um, uh, connected to 9-11 in terms of like homeland security and the overreach of homeland security and all that sort of stuff. So, so think even in that context, you can, and, and you know, the, the destruction of Paris being the inciting incident for the Serac brothers. I think that those, those concepts are so, uh, you know, uh, similar and, uh, I don't know. I just, I just think it's interesting that Jonathan Nolan's like, I'm not done with this yet. I'm going to find a way to talk about it some more. The persistent idea he can't shake is that. I mean, I mean, it is a really intriguing one, you know, and it's one that feels, I'm sure, you know, the Nolans, uh, the brothers Nolan are, are no slouches in terms of like, you, you know, getting some science right or whatever right enough just to be credible, but to tell a kind of wild story. So I'm sure he's like researched this, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he is, he and Lisa Joy both have, have proven themselves very fascinated with, uh, AI. They, they know way more than we could ever hope to know about, um, the actual science of AI and what's going on there and stuff like that. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right. So this this complication, this wrinkle uh, in the plan of Rehoboam are these uh, unpredictable elements. Um, Sirac refers to them as flies in the ointment. Uh, like I said, I've been calling them undesirables. But they are people who the system can't cleanly predict. And, and you know, according to a later conversation that Sirach has with Liam Dempsey Sr., the system's solution is to send people like that, like, off to war. Uh, I think he says, like, through the paper shredder or something like that. Um, basically, like, putting them on a path to die because they are so unpredictable that the system can't handle them being these, like, agents of chaos in its clean plan. So... I mean, that in of itself feels morally repugnant and feels like a choice that the system shouldn't get to make. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but Sorak, perhaps because his own brother is one of these um, unpredictable um, actors, has created some sort of institution or system that 
question mark tries to edit them he says rehabilitate them in some way um so so how did all of that land with you richard um i mean it's it's a, it's interesting it's intriguing it, it sounds grim i don't know if i un- understand completely what was being spoken about you know um, in terms of ed- what was he talking about, like editing genetics, right, or something like that? There was some. There was some. I thought there was a mention of genetics, maybe not. Um, but um, I, I guess the the way that this ties into the you know old Westworld um, is the idea of being able to tinker with and program people and to make to program their destiny, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so perhaps the kinship that Dolores suddenly sees with a lot of humanity who initially seemed like she was aiming to destroy outright. Maybe the kinship she she sees is like, well, you've been on your loops the same as me. And, um, you know, that's, that's said in the episode. Um, and so I like that kind of, it's almost a twist. I think that, that at least for now that Dolores isn't trying to to blow up the world. Essentially. She's trying to free more people. I don't know. I don't, that was, that was my initial thought, but like, I don't, there's a part of me that also in, this is Bernard's interpretation at least, that like by releasing all that information, then she okay, has yeah. I- ensured that they will destroy themselves, right. do the job for her, you know? Yeah, what I mean? which is like, uh, makes a certain kind of sense. I mean, it's like, you know, um, the, well, actually, I'm not going to get into that because no one's watched Hunters, but there's a similar sort of idea on that show. <laughs> um, I mean, I just read like a full paragraph of the Wikipedia description of persons of interest. So if you want to talk about hunters, you definitely can. Um, but this, the, the implication, I think, of this episode, uh, you're right. Uh, like, we don't know the full scope yet. And I think that that's intentional, right? But some sort of insidious, we've captured these people, we're holding them, and we're going to be tinkering with them in some way, genetically or otherwise, um, is, is, I believe, what's at play here. Um, and, and it relates to two of our main characters, uh, in different ways. Um, we find out when the, the Connells, the, like, um, Scottish Delos, uh, inside employee, uh, who's actually Dolores is talking to Bernard. He shows him a tablet and he's like, shows him one of these re, they're called, I think, a re-education center, uh, insidious. Um, and he shows him and what's on the screen, uh, is Inner Journeys, which is the institute where William, uh, played by Ed Harris is currently being held. So mm-hmm. William is currently being held at one of those re-education centers of Sirax. So we don't know quite yet what they're going to do to him there, but that's where he is. Um, and then the other implication we get towards the end of the episode, I think, um, is that, um, Caleb, is also one of these uh, undesirables, these flies in the ointment, and has already gone through the re-education center. And I believe we're supposed to understand that his war memories are implanted memories, and they're not real. And uh-huh. he he has been tinkered with to... You know, I, and I think that might, that probably extends to that whole like strawberry milkshake memory, which you and I both agreed felt like a little cloying weird. Yeah. So, but it, so if it's an implanted memory, um, it would be a little synthetic. Right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's what's going on here. 
The question is, does Dolores, how much does she know? I think she knows. Like, um, like she showed him this like tablet profile of him and who he is. And I think she knows that there was more at play here. And, and it would be classic Dolores to have stumbled herself into his arms in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think she knew exactly who she was, who he was when she found him, or at least once she asked Connells to look into him. Because uh, Liam Dempsey Jr., John Gallagher Jr.'s character, R.I.P., uh, when he put on the, gla- the those glasses and was like sort of reading Caleb at the beginning of the episode, he had a total freak out about him. He was you reading I mean? him for filth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So there's something going. We get weird flashbacks to Caleb, like strapped into a chair. Looks like some experiments were done on him. Uh, also, uh, get a little cameo from Enrico Colantoni, uh, in, who's the guy in the camel overcoat, who's in Caleb's flashback. Uh, Enrico, you, uh, people might know best from his work on Veronica Mars or, uh, the great NBC sitcom Just Shoot Me, but he was also, da, 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 on the TV show Person of Interest. So oh. they've, they've, uh, they've brought back one of their, one of their old familiars. So, uh, you know, Enrico's not someone who's just going to show up <laughs> um, in a flashback. So we will probably be seeing more of him uh, in the future. Yeah. Presumably neither is Kid Cudi. I mean, I know that he had more to do yes. in our, 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 the first episode of this season. But, like, uh, maybe there is a real version of him. Maybe he wasn't his, a soldier friend, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, but he was somebody yeah. else. So so what is it that... Um, John Gallagher Jr., uh, Liam, right, uh, says to, mm-hmm. uh, Caleb as he's dying. He says, it was you. Is that what he's saying? Uh, yeah. He says, you did um, it. you did it. You did it, right. Yeah. So it's, um, and then Caleb goes, who does he think I am? And Dolores gives him a look like, boah. Uh, so yeah, he says you did it. And in, in the earlier scene where he was reading him for filth, he said, you think I killed, you think I killed your friend? And mm-hmm. I think the implication is maybe that Caleb killed Francis, whoever Francis was. And I don't think it was a war buddy. You're right. But I think right. it was someone he knew and he killed him for some reason. We see in the flashback, we, you know, it looks like Caleb and Francis are sort of working together. Uh, they've got the character played by Enrico Colantoni, whose, whose character's name is Whitman, according to the credits. So they've got this Whitman character with like a bag on his head and they've got a gun. Uh, so it looks like they're supposed to be like either threatening him or maybe trying to assassinate or whatever. And then we see, uh, Francis die again. But the question is like, who shot him? Who killed him? And then the Whitman character looks like maybe he's being set free. So, um, we, uh, you know, it, one big question people have had is like, if the mystery of season two is like, who is, uh, who are the like various hosts working for Dolores? But that is unveiled in episode four. So what is the big mystery of season three? And if it's not like weird multidimensional or weird timeline stuff, which is Westworld's usual MO, um, then I think the mystery, you know, that we're going to want to be dealing with is like, who actually is Caleb? Right, mm-hmm. or at least a major mystery of the season. So, um, yeah. So that I mean, all of that stuff that we've talked about already works for me. So we're gonna get to the thing now that doesn't work for me, which and I it think is-, is the thing that doesn't work for me. 
It is the kind of high concept of this episode, which is yeah. that Caleb Caleb gets uh, dosed with the, the drug genre, which was introduced in episode four. Um, and it sends him while they're on this like a uh, heist kidnap gunfight mission. Uh, it sends him through five different genres of film. Uh, and uh, the, the cute, the music cues, uh, the, the, the film changes a bit. Uh, you know, like you get the black and white of the first section and stuff like that. Um, but mostly our biggest hint here about what genre we're dealing with is the music cues. So let's run through them really quickly. <clears throat> we start with what I believe is a noir, uh, cue. Uh, we get like the, we, we, we hear the sound, like the, the, the flicking sound of old film, film reels. I don't think it's supposed to be like a silent, I think it's supposed to be a noir, right? I don't mm-hmm. know what that music cue is. <laughs> But I know what the rest are, so like, stick with me. Our second music cue is Ride of the Valkyries. That's very famously used in Apocalypse Now. So we are in an action war film and we see stuff like Dolores send, uh, some ammunition like up into the air and we follow the ammunition up into the air and down as it explodes things. Um, Caleb essentially has like a ro- like a rocket launcher on his shoulder or whatever. So like, you know, we are in a, a war film, an action film. Uh, the third music cue is the theme from the 1970s film Love Story. Um, this one I was really proud of because it was like tickling in the back of my brain. I was like, I know I know this, but I don't know oh, how. that music um, is seared in my brain. I had the, the record when I was a kid. And so, <laughs> did oh you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you ever, if you ever <laughs> listen to that soundtrack, that record, so there's the, the traditional, da, na, 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 you know, the, that, that uh-huh. main refrain. But at the end, there's, um, a kind of, funk remix of it called bozo barrett because uh right on those oh. characters but that's like i'm gonna send it to you it's glorious people should look it up Please it's do. it's so good and i imagine me as like a gay 12 year old dancing <laughs> in the living room of a farmhouse in rhode island listening to that <laughs> to, to bozo barrett all right yeah. i love it uh so the you know the 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 film gets the 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 shot gets all misty as Caleb like shoots shoots heart eyes at Dolores and uh, the theme from Love Story plays. The next music cue we get is the song Night Clubbing by Iggy Pop, which was used in train spotting, and this is for the sequence when they're on the train. Um and that I have some questions around. Like, are we you know, he's on drugs and on a train, so it's train spotting, I guess, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um I that that one is the like funkiest uh match for me. Um then we we do get a cool uh Ramin Javadi cover of um like uh no, it's uh Space Oddity, but that's not that's a that is not the music cue we are looking for the last one. The last music cue because when he walks out of the train, he's like, what genre is this? And Rashawn Lynch's character is like, this is reality, bro. Uh, so that's not the last genre. The last genre happens on the beach, and we get the theme from The Shining. The, the Shining theme plays right before John Gallagher Jr. dies on the beach. And so I think that's supposed to be, I mean, I guess just horror. I was trying to like get kind of deep into like what The Shining has to do with what goes on with Caleb in that scene. And I guess it's like in The Shining the main character played by Jack Nicholson, like discovers he's more than he thought he was question mark. Uh, or there's like waves of blood question mark. I'm not sure how literal we're supposed to get with the use of the shining theme there, but that is the tour we take through genres. And here before I toss this over to you, Richard is why it does not work for me. 
I think it's an okay concept that um, it feels just kind of half-assed to me uh, in a way that like, I'm like, if you're going to do this, I think you could kind of, you should kind of really do it. And unfortunately, um, it suffers in comparison to a couple of things. Like one, I'm thinking of um, in season one of Legion, Legion is a show that has its many problems, but in season one, there's this like really cool long sequence that flickers back and forth between like a silent film and a non-silent film. And like that back and forth is done so well and so stylishly and so like all in like sometimes Legion went too far in, but that sequence was done so well that I was like, I really wanted something like that. Or alternatively, and I have to imagine that the the, the Westworld creators watched this episode and were like, uh oh, the nostalgia episode of Watchmen, um, where you have a character sort of going through a black and white world, um, sort of in a dreamlike state, uh, is once again a similar concept done so much more all in and, and, and with just such heightened style that it really makes this like, let's slightly change the camera work and put a movie theme, slap a movie theme on it. Um, really pale in comparison. So Richard, what do you, what do you think about <laughs> genre? Yeah. I mean, commit to the bit, you know, yeah. if you're going to yeah. do it, it's just yeah. so muted. And yeah. so you're like, okay, the music changed and maybe the, maybe the saturation of the color palette changed a little bit or I, but like, it's mostly just like, you know, sometimes when you get screeners, um, like pretty far ahead of time it, that, you know, they haven't finished all the special effects and, and so things look a little janky. And so I found myself watching this. I was like, Oh, they're just going to add stuff. And it was like, no, this airs in like two, three days. Like the, yeah. this is, this is the final episode. So I, I just think that they, they, I think that the, the show, which is so sleek and cool and whatever, I think wanted to experiment with form a little bit, but then got nervous that it was going to be too cartoony or something. And so they scaled it back and it just like, didn't work at all. Like if you're going to go for it, like have them have the noir be like, you know, like, like really go for it. And, and so I didn't like that. I also didn't like the idea that Dolores, who is, you know, this kind of efficient machine is going to tolerate some, lowly human who is high on drugs to you know and could potentially screw up her whole thing that said that changed a bit when you realize oh she there's maybe a big a bigger reason why she's keeping him around you know right, right um but but yeah all told it's just like I, I i appreciate when a show that has had a little bit of um you know uh life under its feet i mean you know the show's been around now for three this is its third season that if it want to get wants to get a little weirder and experiment the show has plenty of room to do that um so it's just weird to see them kind of aim for the fences and then kind of bunt you know it's just like like i don't understand i'm I'm, real clearly i'm a baseball expert but like um (laughs) but it's i honor the idea but really think that the execution ruins the idea you know i i completely agree and it's like it's 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 baffling to me because like i'm uh what what westworld has done so well in previous seasons is like when it introduces you to a new world like even mm-hmm. the war world stuff in in this season but like think about like the raj or the shogun world and you're immediately you are plunged into a different genre like it's been doing this this like let's do let's do a fun twist on a different genre sort of thing um and so I don't know why they wouldn't have Caleb, like, literally flash into the, you know, like, 
change the costumes. Like, you know what I mean? Like put the, put like have him like be in the noir world and see Evan Rachel Wood is a femme fatale. And he's in like a suit and a fedora. Or like, if you're going to do train spotting, like let's get some like heroin Scottish chic going on. Like, you know, like do that. And that would be kind of like a fun, cool thing to do or actually change the style of filmmaking. Like give me Danny Boyle, give me, you know, like 1970s love story rather than just like slightly like putting Vaseline on the lens. You know what I mean? Like the, the music cues are the only thing I have to really, really tell me what genre, other than like love story, which was kind of clear, like what genres I'm hopping through. And that's like, uh, you know, Westworld does a really good job with his music. I won't, uh, you know, I'll give it that, but like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm so surprised that they came up with this idea and this is what they did with it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, right, but yeah. like, I don't want to discourage, not that they care about what we have to say, but like, I don't want to, I would never want to discourage anyone from, you know, trying something weird with, with, you know, their thing. But like, but well, you, that's, it, I think our, our point is yeah. like, be, be weirder. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Anyway. So let's round out, um, two lingering, I think, mysteries of the episode that I want to talk to you about. One is this question. We had asked this question earlier, which is like, so in episode three, Charlotte discovers that, uh, she's one of Sirach's moles in the company, but there's another mole in the company because someone smuggled Maeve out of the park and it wasn't Charlotte, right? And mm-hmm. according to the, uh, Delos Intel, um, whoever did it was like super high up. So my theory at the time was that, uh, Stubbs, played by Liam Hemsworth, uh, not Liam, sorry. <laughs> Luke Hemsworth, um, that, that Stubbs was, um, you know, even though Bernard thinks Stubbs is working for him, he's actually working for Ciroc. And I gotta say nothing in this episode, uh, unpersuaded me of that because, uh, Stubbs just shows up in the, in the middle of, uh, you know, insight headquarters mm-hmm. being like forgot about me um in, in a way like we've been told like the whole reason dolores is posing as connell's is it's incredibly difficult to get into that building and to get past security um so i think that um i i still think that Stubbs is working for Sirach. yeah that uh, sounds credible because he yeah i was a little bit i th- I, like, I was like did i look away from my monitor to you know and then <laughs> right. turn back and miss something involving Stubbs because he's just like here now <laughs> you know he's just he's just yeah. like what's up bitch and like you know in, in that episode Sirach says like activate every asset we have you know so like you've got um all these people trying to get at Dolores, the various versions of Dolores and stuff like that. And so, um, and then, so he has Bernard with him. So that means, you know, if I'm right, which I may not be, but if I'm right, that means Sirach has Bernard. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, there's something about Bernard and the way, and I think it's because he's like a human host hybrid. That's very important to Dolores's plan. She talks about protecting Bernard, like that that's really important. And I don't think it's just a, I need to be challenged sort of thing. I think she needs a human host hybrid for some reason. Um, so, but Ciroc has, you know, this is a big, this is a big, uh, Ciroc took a big L, uh, this week, but if he has Bernard, then at least he's sort of winning something that Dolores wants. So that's one thing. And then the other thing I want to point out is that there's still one, um, mystery host out there. And, um, 
One of Sorok's men said, you know, he mentioned the locations. He said Jakarta, we think that's where like the Musashi host is. San Francisco, that's where Charlotte is. Los Angeles, that's where Connell's was. And Berlin. And so I think Berlin is the location we're looking at for the last uh, mystery host. Um, my fingers are still crossed that it's uh, the Clementine host. Uh, but we'll see who it is. But we still got one mystery host out there. So yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who it is, both in um, Pearl and in body. Right, uh, right. I don't know what would what it would mean, depending on who it is, you know what I mean? But like, I am I am curious. And um, uh, hopefully we'll get some satisfying resolve to that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's this is fun that we're now you and I are in uncharted territory and that we don't we're getting the episodes week to week and um don't have you know can't like look ahead into the future we are not uh exactly it is it is much more fun to watch westworld this way um we get to theorize uh you know that's fun well i think you and i did a little bit of acting for the past four (laughs) episodes we're like i wonder if this is gonna happen knowing full well that it either did or didn't but like now this is now we're not we are on the up and up it's true. It's true. So, um, yeah, like, <laughs> let's just not speculate who's inside Charlotte because we know who's inside Charlotte sort of mm-hmm. thing. So now we don't know. We don't know what's coming. Uh, we got a lot of questions. Uh, there is a lot that I enjoyed in this episode. And I just, I think if they had landed that genre thing, I would have like fully really liked this episode. Um, but unfortunately, I will say for Aaron Paul's uh, sake, uh, his, his acting um of a of someone like uh rolling like out of their mm-hmm. mind uh while in the midst of an action sequence was was pretty solid um he was like working his jaw and all that sort of stuff so good job dude um all right anything anything we want to like look forward to the what's what are you most interested in in finding out the answer to like how Alexandra Barr, the actor who plays young Sorak, like, <laughs> swings, like what his whole deal is. Like that's what I'm kind of most. <laughs> At first I thought it was like weird de-aging because it's kind yeah. of uncanny uh, and he's kind of lit weird. I think they were probably trying to obfuscate that it's a different actor in a way. Um, but no, it's a real person. So there you go. Um, I'm, I'm more, I think your mind is better about this stuff uh, than mine is. So what are you most curious about? Cause then that'll be what I'm most curious about. Oh, I want to know um, how the actor Paul Cooper, who plays the young Jean-Michel Sirac, swings. No, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I, uh, the Caleb mystery. I'm, yeah. I'm interested. Like at first, I was, I felt very insistent that Caleb be just an ordinary human. That felt like narratively important to me. Uh, cause I think a lot of people were speculating that he was a host. Cause there's all that stuff with his mom being like, you're not my son and all this sort of stuff like that. And now, now that makes a little more sense. If we think of him as like a, someone who's been brainwashed, you know, like think of him as like a, I think of him now as sort of like a Jason Bourne figure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so someone who's had his like previous life as maybe someone who worked for Ciroc or someone who did, you know, whatever erased from his brain. Um, figuring out who he is and what he is and what his deal is. And also like, you know, that Dolores planted William inside inner journeys um, is really interesting to me because like the one thing I'm a little worried about because, you know, she Dolores is able to put William at the inner journeys facility based just on the idea that he was like mentally unwell. Right. And that's sort of mm-hmm. the implication around Jean-Michel is that he is like 
a genius, but mentally unwell. And then we know that um, Caleb, like, struggles with, like, depression and suicidal ideation and stuff like that. So I'm... I, I want the show, and I'm hopeful it will, to tread carefully around this idea of people who are mentally ill being, like, the undesirables of society. Now, granted, like, that's a perspective that Sirach has that is, uh, you know, we're not supposed to agree with him. But it's still, like, it's a little tricky. So I just want to make sure that, you know, that that is... You know, I, I have no control over it, but I hope it's done well, uh, is all I have to say about that. So, um, mm-hmm. all right. So we will, we will see what they have in store. Wait, let's see. We've got, we've got all we have to go off of now is the, uh, episode title. So let's see. The episode title next week is, uh, Decoherence. So that's fun. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what's happening, um, in an incoherent, decoherent way, uh, next week. Richard, until then, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm going to be writing fan fiction about two French twinks who, like, enslave humanity. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I'll be tweeting about that fanfic at Rylaz and not publishing that fanfic at fanfiction.com. Uh, Joanna, where will you be until um, decoherence? <laughs> I will be uh, figuring out which five genres of film that I would most like to trip through. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and make, maybe making a mixtape uh, to to correlate to the genres. Uh, other than that, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rothis. Richard and I will be back on Wednesday talking about the first three episodes of Mrs. America. Yeah. Uh, so we hope to see you over there. And then we will be back again next Sunday with uh, episode six of Westworld. So... Until then, um, stay French. <laughs> let's let's both take uh, genre and and at the same time, so we can both experience musical, you know, nineteen fifties musical at the same time. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Violent delights. Violent ends. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.